0: Hi, icons. It's Danny Pellegrino from the pop culture podcast, Everything Iconic. And I love Nordstrom. No place better to shop, particularly during the holiday season, because they have everything. They have holiday decor at Nordstrom. They have cozy cardigans from Barefoot Dreams, my fave. They have cold weather attire, party attire. Plus, free shipping and free returns, free store pickup. You can also purchase a recycled fabric gift bag so your item arrives festive and wrapped. So check out Nordstrom this holiday season, a one-stop shop. You can explore more at Nordstrom in-store or online at nordstrom.com.
1: This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable, to see if at the end of the pod each person says, that's my kind of weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollack, and joining me today is my on-again, off-again podcast co-host, which some of you may remember from our previous iteration of this podcast, Adam Hyde. Hello. Adam. Are you ready to get weird with me? You know, I never thought you'd ask me that, but yes. (laughs) All right, Adam, present your Something
0: Watchable. Okay, my Something Watchable. I wanted to talk about Torchwood Children of Earth. As far as we can tell, at 8.40 this morning, every single child in the world
1: stopped. Reports coming in RTAs in Norway, Sweden, Denmark,
0: Luxembourg. Stephen. Four, five, six. I warned you.
1: Two kids on Market Street, though. But they just stopped.
0: But so far, we're the only ones with the software clever enough to piece this all together. Right? Us and Torchwood. Which is the uh, third season we're or mini series of the Torchwood series. Basically, Torchwood being the uh, offshoot of Doctor Who, uh, centering around Captain Jack Harkness and his team of, you know, misfit investigators I guess investigating supernatural paranormal type stuff. Yep. So this show started out obviously as a uh, maybe a more adult version of Doctor Who um, classic monster of the week style um, sort of episodes where you know it was one mystery per episode and whatnot. not. Um, Russell T Davies who was a writer for Doctor Who was the head writer for this show but After the second season, it was sold to an American producer and they released a mini-series as opposed to a full series of five episodes. And people just... I don't think they got on board with it a whole lot. And I want to advocate a little bit for it today because um, I personally think that as far as development of its main uh, protagonist, it probably did better than the other ones. Than the first two, yeah. Then the first seasons, seasons. you mean? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, you got a real good look in on. Um, I mean, obviously, the Children of Earth thing, where it gives you this ultimatum of, uh, I think it's a third of all of the Earth's children, or something, you know, for this alien that's basically using them as drugs. This is a horrific sort of concept in in itself, but it gives you such a in depth look at a person um, who essentially doesn't have a conscience at this point because he's lived too long and seen too much bad, and the end always ends always justify the means for him and i yeah. think I think development wise for for Jack Harkness it was a really important part of this his character
1: yeah yeah, this arc feels of this show it feels a bit more like it feels like it's matured a lot more the first yeah. two seasons. The biggest problem I feel like what they had is, for the most part, they didn't really know what to do with the show, which is fine because I mean, if you go back and listen—oh, sorry, not listen, but uh, if you go back and watch the other show that spun off from Doctor Who, the Sarah, Sarah uh, Jane, Sarah Jane—that's it with the fucking awful-looking robotic dog. um, Yeah, yeah, K nine show for the most part. I feel like didn't know quite what to do with itself either because it spent too much time being, you know, the, the other doctor who show. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, the first two Torchwood seasons just, yeah, they just really fell into that trap of, all right, we're here. We're going to do the monster of the week thing and we'll kind of do our thing. It'll be kind of cool each week, but, Mm -hmm. um, we're also here to do a crossover episode with Doctor Who if and when, you know, BBC ever wants it.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, which did end up um, happening, uh, I believe, in maybe season three or four of the reboot of Doctor Who, I think is where the yep. crossover happened. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, I would I would agree, though. It definitely didn't find its way on its own for some time.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's there's just so much to love about this season. Yep. It's. I feel like it crosses more into the just bizarrely strange and spends more time being, I, I think it's a mistake for them to, for it to be sort of marketed as the third season of Torchwood. Yeah. They should have just marketed Torchwood as, all right, this show is cancelled, yep. but there's this other thing that we have. It's a mini series. It expands the Torchwood universe. Yeah. This is it. This is it. This is going to be a heck of a lot different than what you're used to sort of seeing. Yeah. And, totally. and I I feel like that's kind of where it lost a few people. Cause mm-hmm. they expected sort of the the um the sort of the ragtag group. And I kind of don't really understand why the I think there's there was two other characters, wasn't there, yeah. in seasons yeah. one yeah, and two that just, just kind of disappeared.
0: Girl. Yeah. I mean they, they killed them off in season two. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Do, that's they do right. kill yeah. them off, but it was a real like um, like the series was finished at that point. Like it was a post, I mean, I don't know if they weren't renewed or what the, what the deal was, but it was basically like they had written it to the point where it's like they didn't want to write anymore and I think so many of the fans mm-hmm. hopped off at that point because it was like, okay, we're done. And then they brought out Children of Earth and then there was a, a fourth season after it. Um, mm. but they they had different showrunners, different producers. I assume they've changed up a lot of their writing team and stuff like that at this point, and it is very different. It's a different show altogether. Um, funnily enough, it's an American producer that does it, but it's still it's all quite well-known UK actors and stuff in it at this point, you know, Peter Capaldi and such. Um, they didn't sort of do what you know, American studios tend to do and just veto the fact that it takes place in Cardiff. They they kept kept it there, which was a good thing. I think if they had gone any further, they probably would have lost everybody at that point.
1: I have a feeling that this show, the reason for all of what you just mentioned is I think this show was part of the early sort of what eventually became BBC America and what started shows like Orphan Black and all those sorts of things that follow. Yeah,
0: okay. So
1: I think that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'll always sort of, I'll probably go to my grave just saying, I still think Russell Davies is still the best yeah. Doctor, or at least the best modern Doctor Who storyteller yeah. in terms of writing and yeah, being agree. a showrunner and all those sorts of things. Because, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, look, Matt Smith's matt Smith's uh sort of time as doctor who Mm -hmm. that was enjoyable peter capaldi's time in doctor who you kind of get what they're trying to accomplish with going back to the more sort of arrogant sort of uh personality traits that doctor who you know way back in the sort of 50s and 60s had so you kind of get what they're trying to do there but I just feel like the first five seasons of the rebooted Doctor Who are just easily rewatchable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would agree with that. My favorite episodes of, of that series were when you saw Russell's name in that first in the, the writing credits at the start. Um yeah. I always enjoyed those ones the most. I always yeah. found they had the most yeah. substance to them. They often had uh you know, lots of callbacks to other stuff within the universe. It wasn't sort of these weird standalone sort of completely brand new inventions and stuff like that. He did a good job of uh linking it into the series and making it cohesive with the, the older series. Um yeah. but at the same yeah. time, you know, keep making it new and interesting enough that it's gonna hold a modern audience.
1: Yeah, I don't really feel like they've accomplished that since him, uh, other than the the um the series with uh Jody Whitaker as yep. the doctor I feel is a bit more cohesive. The problem I feel that uh with the the doctor who um periods with uh Matt Smith and Peter capaldi is sort of they sort of follow this format of okay so the first two episodes ish will introduce sort of the what may be coming at the end, the big bad at the end of each season. But then they don't, each uh, episode doesn't feed into the other in terms of introducing what that is. I feel like with Russell Davies, sorry, Russell T Davies' uh, work on Doctor Who, you got a little bit of sort of tension and psychological thriller Yeah, Um, in the vein of Doctor Who, as each episode, so it kind of like kind of strung you along a bit, and it kind of introduced sort of. I mean, like with the first season, with uh, I think it's um, Bad Wolf from uh, Mm -hmm. from Memory. It's and that that kind of that first season, you kind of gradually started to find out more and more about what Bad Wolf is before you got finally got to the last episode of that season. Yeah, that's right. I just feel like that isn't there for those other Doctor Who seasons, not yeah. that I've seen anyway. Um,
0: yeah. Well, and, so, and I think uh, that's um, personally, I think that's why the, the Torchwood um, Children of Earth sort of stands up a little bit more than people give it credit because it has all of those points in its own yeah. sort of uh, realm of that universe, you know. Um, they talk about, you know they they reference the doctor a few times in it and talk about how he, he you know he, he'd have to turn his back on us for this horrible thing that we're doing and yada 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 um, yeah but they you know it, it comes down to like this um, they've set it up in Doctor Who where they where the doctor mentions that he he's terrified of Harkness because he's a fixed point in space and time that shouldn't exist and mm. then you watch. I guess it almost shows you why exactly that's so scary in this series because he sacrifices his own grandson in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, you see the ex- spoilers. Yeah, yeah, are spoilers. If you haven't seen it at this point, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, you see the extent of his regenerative abilities. Uh, in yeah. that one, like the full extent of them, where he's, you know, yeah. basically completely obliterated, and still manages to come back from it. So you see all these, things. which is
1: good because it it also ties back into the whole face of Bo, yes, that we see in the in the um, yeah. very Big first spoiler. season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, deep <laughs> cut. Um, so, and I feel like it's exploring more of that that very loosely that loose thread of what we've known about Harkness up until now. And I I feel like that's what I like about this season. I feel like there's a lot of backstory that I feel, it almost feels like, like Russell Davies is going, I wanted to do this. I couldn't here's my opportunity because who knows where this is going to go. Yeah, and so fair. he tries to, you know, tie tie up a lot of the the unanswered questions about
0: darkness. Yeah, starkness. I think so. I mean, and just sort of looking forward from that, I think that if you look at that series and then the fourth one, which I don't want to go into too much, you could look at those two and go, those are uh, all the themes that were in that. You could see those starting to come out in the second season of Torchwood and you could, yeah. had there been maybe two or three more seasons worth of that before they got into children of earth and then miracle day i think you could have really expanded on that his sort of backstory and really gave that a whole lot more depth instead of having to go whole hog in those the you know the last two seasons like they did they could have done a lot more slow burning on that sort of stuff which you know may have been better may have been worse i guess that's hindsight at that point you can't really tell So,
1: my something watchable is the 1997 sci-fi horror film, Mm -hmm. Event Horizon. Yes. At 0300 this morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. The Event Horizon. She's come back. Now... Event Horizon uh, stars Lawrence Fishburne. It stars Sam Neill, and you and I are always big Sam Neill fans. We yeah. are. Um, it stars Kathleen Quinlan and Jolie Richardson. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who haven't seen Event Horizon, I need to qu- question what you're doing w- with yourself, how you live your life. Mm. But for those who, uh, for haven't, who haven't seen it, um, it's basically this this sort of this black hole that goes into another dimension, and a ship is sent to explore that that black hole because a ship has emerged from that hole. They've uh, they've gone through the into this other dimension. It comes back, and uh, all of the crew are dead except for uh, a couple of survivors, uh-huh. and. it's uh, Lawrence Fishburne's uh, crew is sent to that ship to explore what has actually happened. So there's very much a sort of a feeling of the unknown. It's very sort of sci-fi horror-esque in terms of the gradual build-up to who the actual uh, who is who the bad guy is in this? Uh, spoilers at Sam Neil. Lots of tension. Lots building. of tension. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of psychological uh, head fuckery is going on with this uh, movie, and it get, sort of builds to a point about I'm going to say about 50 minutes in. We kind of really you don't really know who to trust. You don't know yeah. who. The who is behind everything, and for the most part, you don't really understand where the movie is going, yeah. So it keeps you on the edge of your seat. It doesn't, there's no kind of at least I don't remember any, you know, jump moments, so to speak. There's a lot of, um, maybe smart
0: close to play. the end, close like really close to the end. I think you get a couple of jump scares, but not major ones. They're just sort of no, you know, if you're not yeah. expecting it, they're gonna get you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And you're probably referring to the, the reveal where Sam Neill is revealed as the, mm. the bad guy who just appears out of nowhere and his eyes are sort of sewn shut. But yes. um other than that, it's it's a great sort of horror, a sci-fi horror that kind of delves into the unknown and just how scary space can be mm. without any aliens.
0: Yeah, they did. They did a terrific job, actually. When I when I remember when I watched that, I was, I think, watching it from a sort of. I I didn't watch it until maybe quite recently, considering it came out in what ninety seven. Yeah, I watched it and was so invested in trying to work out what was happening, and not once did I ever get close to it until it happened. Yeah, and I was. I mean, that's a terrific sort of. for the storytelling of the time in film, I guess, it was just it's super well done because there's so much cliche sort of stuff was sort of popping up around the late 90s and, mm. you know, I mean, this was one that missed that mark which is awesome because, you know, we don't need more cliche stuff.
1: Yeah, and it was around that time where those sort of Hollywood studios seemed to be going more into the what does the uh the future hold what does the future look like all those sorts of things yeah. for um for uh for i guess the world there was a lot of sort of cyberpunk stuff that was coming out mm-hmm. obviously matrix you know um uh that the that sort of i guess fad that was happening so it was just it was really something awesome and different
0: yeah it was good what i really dug about it was um in a time where there was such a big technological jump in visuals in films yeah. and things now can look quite dated when you look at the cgi of that era like uh for instance yeah. look at the scorpion king in the mummy terrible like <laughs> just worst cgi in existence um yeah. it, it was such a massive jump in cgi at that point and they didn't They didn't fall into the trap of doing that. They kept largely practical effects from what I can tell and they kept the CGI stuff to a minimum and it made the film age a lot better and and heaps more believable, you know. That fear and edge-of-your-seat sort of tension wasn't broken by any of this horrible, awful-looking CGI stuff, you know. Um, Maybe because they didn't have aliens in it, I don't know, but whatever. They didn't go overboard, and that was really probably a really great part in that you can watch it now and still enjoy it. It just looks like it's not in high def.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right, Adam, present your something readable.
0: Something readable. So my something readable is um, it's, it's a book, and it's called uh, Nuts What I Reckon, Uncook Yourself, A Rat Bag's Rules for Life. Now... People may be familiar with and that's what I reckon from his youtube and uh, instagram uh sort of content creator personality um his mm, it fuck it's hot videos yeah exactly yeah um and, and and as I mentioned to you, this guy is like distilled australiana if you take away the romanticism of our you know famous exports so It's Australians without that Hemsworth factor that is so very, very false. Um, Yes. And this book was basically – it came about because he'd when we all went into quarantine with the COVID issues and stuff like that, um, we had shortages of toilet paper, which everybody knows, and then we started to get shortages of pasta. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. the next thing to go when you have a shortage of pasta is jarred pasta sauce. So being – uh, I, th- I think his dad is a chef or a cook, and as such, he grew up with a lot of skills that some people don't get, which is making healthy pasta sauce that you don't have to buy out of a jar. So he made a whole mm. uh, video basically teaching people how to make jar sauce, which is ends up being cheaper and healthier than regular, you know, whatever brand jar sauce you buy. And he started this whole fuck jar sauce campaign. And (laughs) Yeah. And and all of a sudden he just exploded on the internet. So um, from that, he's, you know, a guy who is essentially uh, just an everyday sort of person, you know, has had odd jobs here and there and everywhere and never really sort of known his place in the world, became this um, sort of spokesperson for that for that yeah. of demographic, I guess, um, yeah. and he was teaching people how to cook and then teaching, you know, became an advocate for mental health because he has his own mental health concerns, things like that. So yeah. He was approached by, um, by a publisher to write this book, and the book itself is, um, I'm not far through it yet, but at this stage I think it's terrific. He seems to go into a lot of detail about saying this isn't a self-help book. You know, um, it reads like a bit of a self-help book, but it's not a self-help book. It's basically just him waffling on about his experience and how he found himself in positions that, you know, were silly. And, mm. um, for instance, there's a, a title in the book that says, dress for the job you've actually got, being you. Don't try and put yourself into these little uh, categories of whatever, you know. It's not going to make you happy. You've just got to try and yep. be yourself and not... Sort of, you know, be uncomfortable with everything you do. Um, yeah. There is a whole chapter on overused Aussie sayings like, good on your champ and uh, fuck it's hot, as you mentioned before. Adding, adding <laughs> O on the end of everybody's name, Chris O, Rosso, John O, that sort of thing. There's just very, yeah, yeah. very quintessentially Australian things. I think um, not only that, but there's comics in this book as well. So there'll be whole sections All right. whole sections of comics that the comics are often his recipes that he had done on his YouTube channel. Yeah. They've been converted into comics for the book to break up a bit of the monotony of reading. Because as he mentions in the book, he don't like reading books. He reckons he's read maybe two or three books his entire life. You know, for some people, it's just not for reading. And then now he's written one, right? So I guess that's a a lesson in itself. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I I find uh, at this stage I've really enjoyed reading his book Um, just purely based on the – he just takes the piss out of everything and it makes me – I read it and it just reminds me of talking to mates down the pub and stuff like that, you know?
1: Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So my something readable is June – the specifically the sort of first chapter of June. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: did you get around to reading it? I have not read the first chapter. I've got little bits and pieces of uh, notes. What it's about from chapter one, and I've got you know. I mean, June's been in the uh, pop culture sort of orbit Psychist. forever, and you know, yep. there's always references here, there, and everywhere. So I've got a bit of an idea of what's going on in it.
1: For those who have never read June or seen June. Firstly, I would say don't bother with the David Lynch directed uh June movie. Not David. It's, uh yeah. And <laughs> a lot of you can probably, you know, sum that up to me not being a huge fan of David Lynch, but it just doesn't really sort of capture sort of the gravitas and the the suspense and the fantastical nature of what the Dune sort of series is about
0: mm-hmm.
1: so june for those who haven't read june or seen Dune, it's the easiest way i could explain it is if star wars had more of sort of a game of thrones vibe to it in terms of sort of the warring factions in this case of june it's about this universe which the sort of the main sort of economy and money is in the form of this this spice trade and it's about these houses that sort of are vying for control over the spice trade. I feel like the the reason why I've wanted to talk about the first chapter is, firstly, pulling it into context. This was a book that was written in the seventies, uh-huh. and the first chapter itself is essentially about this prince that's kind con- that's coming of age that who's about to be in control of this this house, or at least is being. That's what he's been sort of bred for and trained for. Yep. And he gets to this point where he has to put his hand inside this, this box that causes immense amounts of pain. I feel like the first chapter is this great sort of uh, almost masterclass, if you will, on term, in terms of how to do great tension storytelling within like the science fiction genre
0: mm-hmm.
1: and within the fantasy genre as well. The reason I'm not too fond of David Lynch's, uh, I guess, interpretation of the um, the Frank Herbert book is I feel like his style just doesn't work. I feel like it may have worked for that period of time. yeah, But I feel like um, for what it is, there's just not the right amount of tension that's captured. There's just not a, the right amount of suspense that's captured.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, Lynch is pretty notorious for putting things in there that don't matter. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 100%. Let's watch a guy sweep a floor for like five minutes at the end of an episode that's got nothing to do with anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So, um yeah that's that's my pitch for June chapter one. I really recommend that anyone who's sort of interested in sort of writing or even just reading an old book that they haven't really uh read before um it's also a great idea to you know um get get uh get this book read it all the way through uh because June is gonna be the next big blockbuster it um, is. assuming we can you know. Everyone can go to a movie theater by then, but um, yeah. it's yeah, it's um, yeah. So June Chapter One—that's my pitch.
0: Cool. It sounds interesting. Um, it's one of those things I definitely want to get around to at some point in my life because it's it's it's. I remember seeing copies of June on my grandparents' yep. um, bookshelf when I was a kid, yep. and I remember seeing like the cover art and just being like, "What the fuck could this book possibly be about?" And just like rocking my brain as a kid, and I was like, this like iconic images that I will never forget. So, it's something I really would like to get into it one day and just sort of go, Okay, now I understand what it's all about.
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's a fair argument to make that without Dune, you wouldn't have stories like Game of Thrones, you wouldn't have stories like The Expanse. I feel like The Expanse really uh is owes a lot to this book yeah in terms of uh i mean you've seen the expanse uh that's very much uh very like sci-fi political Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's just it's more it's not while i say it's almost star warsy that's only because of you know the gigantic worms and sort of the yeah sort of the the fights that ensue but it's really um
0: it's the great granddaddy of all this sci-fi stuff
1: yeah 100 percent. all right adam uh present your
0: something listenable so my something listenable was just a single track from a sydney band a four-piece called gasper sands and their newest single called you can be somebody to love Um, yeah, This band... It's probably uh, helpful
1: for you, being
0: single. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, there is definitely <laughs> elements of, you know, I listen to it and cry at night. Um, but, <laughs> but realistically, though, this... Um, not that that's not realistic, I do that. But really, um, <laughs> I, I, the, I i really loved this single when it came out because it, was, it came out at a point where everybody's been sort of so dump trucks over everything. Everybody's been locked away for yeah. a whole year and they released it. Yeah. Um, they released the song and it's like, it's indie pop rock, you know. it's yeah. it's It's got this wonderful upbeat sort of groove to it. Um, I would liken it to what Jamiroquai would sound like if they were out now. If Jamiroquai came out now rather than when they were out and they weren't, the market wasn't going to listen to that whole overproduced really big sound that Jamiroquai had and they needed to dial it back, this is what they'd sound like.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, it's got that groove sort of ambient sort of feel about it. And, I mean, personally, I think these guys – had the lockdown thing not been so prevalent, and shows were available, I think we would start seeing them play the festival circuit very soon, and likely mm. be one of those big deals within the next year or so. I reckon. So it's
1: definitely very chill. It's uh, got a lot of sort of um, sort of jazz riffage with yeah. its with the uh, guitars in it. The only problem i have with it is that there's so many other bigger names that have already done this and that's sort of my biggest issue um it um that said i can i can sort of understand why people would get into it Mm because it is just very much you know sit in the backyard open open a brew sit in the sun have a drink and it's kind of the music that you that you just want for feel good vibes. Yeah, that's but right. that being said, I've never been guilty of feel good vibes. So, yeah.
0: um yeah, I um, thought it might. Uh, they do bit happen,
1: bit. just not that often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I've just I've just on a serious note, I've never really gotten into sort of the the sort of the chill aspect of rock and roll. Yeah, I've it's. It's just not me. I find it. For me, I feel that rock and roll should be gritty. It should be filthy. There should be blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, there,
0: yeah, I can understand that. There
1: should be all of that type of stuff. I don't. I feel like the the easy accessibility of rock is kind of. It's it's just not for me, is what yeah. I'm saying. And yeah, I can understand. And yeah, and uh I imagine this band has quite a few female fans for obvious reasons. It definitely has that sort of and I'm kind of, you know, stereotyping right now, but it just bit, yeah. definitely feels that yeah, and pigeonholing it. And I feel like this band just would have, you know a, you know they probably have a high female uh base uh in terms of listeners, but yeah, for me, I just prefer the grittier sides of rock.
0: Yeah, and that's fair. I say I don't think anyone's going to judge you for that. I think you summed it up really well. It's a definite backyard barbecue with a beer sort of yeah. cruisy tune where you're not um, – it's not like – I mean, the the whole point of the song is we're encouraging people to be the best sort of version of themselves they can be even when shit sucks. So, yeah. you know, if that's the sort of vibe you're after, go and give them a listen because it's great.
1: Yeah, that said, I would much rather put this on than that day drunk singer fuckwit.
0: Day drunk. Um, oh, yeah. The Newcastle guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his brother used to teach me bass years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I don't even know his name. He, yeah, he's I, I not do, welcome in not my house and neither is his music.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I'm, I know his name, but I ain't going to mention it on here. Oh, we don't need to make more enemies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, my something listenable is Mogwai's rave tapes.
0: It sure is.
1: did you go consuming
0: this okay so i um i made the mistake of listening to this at the gym <laughs> <laughs> um I, as you know i um i'm hard of hearing so i struggle to find time in my day to listen to things um yeah just casually i need to make sure i'm in a place where i can put headphones on and not be disturbed and listen so i listen in the gym to most of my music and mm. This is, like, the definition of, of, like, progressive ambience, right?
1: Yeah, big time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm not saying I didn't like it. I was saying I was in the wrong place for this kind of music because, you know, you tend to want something high energy while you're in the gym. And this had me sort yep. of, uh, I feel like... Cuddling your cuddling your bottle of water. Yeah, it's, it <laughs> sort of has that vibe of, like, I can imagine somebody in a room painting to this kind of music Yeah. Um, or yeah. drawing or, you know, whatever, like, feels like something. It's art that feels like it wants to promote other art, um, sort mm. of thing that will force your brain to tick over a little bit while you're listening to it. It's not sort of... Um, it's, like, background sound, but provocative background sound, if you understand what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mogwai definitely... Uh, those who don't know Mogwai, Mogwai are pretty much sort of the forefathers of post-rock. Uh, now, um, post-rock is kind of, can really just be defined as pretty much a, a mesh of all different genres that, uh, that it's usually slower, it's usually highly in- instrumental.
0: Which is handy when you hate lyrics.
1: <laughs> Here we go. Here we go, folks. Um, now... Uh the reason I chose well Mogwai have made sort of uh their career of being uh they've written quite a few soundtrack sounding uh albums. Uh now in those sort of soundtrack sounding albums, they're very there's very much a clear sort of crescendo when it comes to the the high points. There's mm-hmm. a decrescendo that's quite evident in the low points. But I find this album interesting because you don't really have that. It's not really self evident in terms mm. of it, it's kind of, it's almost a, an album that kind of stays at the same decibels throughout the the entire length, yeah. which I find quite interesting that they're able to go through so many, so many different progressions in each track mm-hmm. while still not really having a, a sort of a real high point in the music. Um, yeah. So it's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting album, I think, for any anyone should listen to it to see just how much they think they can appreciate all forms of music, <laughs> yeah um because I can almost guarantee you that the vast majority of people out there that say they are into all types of music probably couldn't not only get into this album but actually get it,
0: yeah, yeah, I find um. Quite often when people say that they're into all kind of music, what they mean is, or usually what they'll say is, I like all music except for country and opera. And what that means is they like yeah, top 40.
1: Anything in the top 40s. Yeah,
0: <laughs> anything top 40. Um, <laughs> you know, or sometimes some of those cool old rock and roll tracks my dad used to play on the LPs, you know, that sort of thing. Um, mm, mm. Or Bohemian Rhapsody when they're drunk. Um
1: yeah. You know, yeah. but, have you heard of Rush? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but I thought this—I I did quite enjoy um, what I was listening to. Like I said, I was in the wrong environment for it, but um, you yeah, know, reminded me of if doom metal was pretty, this is what it would be. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know doom is specifically supposed to not be pretty, but yeah. if it were pretty and electronic, this is what you'd get. So it's got that sort of – it's got a slow sort of steady march for the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. I think, like I said before, specifically if you're doing something creative, I feel like it would really help that along because it's got that like – it would put you in that almost like a meditative type state with this kind of music. Yeah, it is very trance-like. And, um, yeah, I mean, in that respect, I think – they got something quite special there. Um, I think the album was from 2017. Uh, it's Rave tapes? Yeah. No, it was
1: earlier than that. Okay. It
0: was, I think, 2012, maybe? Mm. Um, yeah, okay. I think, uh, oh, yeah, I, I thought it was from the 2010s somewhere. Um, but interesting for that era, because when I first started, I immediately thought, oh, this is the sort of shit that I was, you know, like this sort of proggy sort of stuff. This is exactly what I was listening to when I was sort of just out of high school and, you know, watching local sort of, you know, prog rock bands getting around and, like, it was the first thing I thought was, like, oh, like, era-wise, I know exactly when this is from. And then I looked at it and it was actually a few years after, um, like, you know, leaving maybe, well, shit, eight years after I left school. So, um Sort of quite a big step away from that, but then as it went on, I realized that it was substantially different. It was just that those sort of initial elements on the first listen yep. had that same sort of feel. Yeah, Mogwai have
1: never really been a trendy band, they've often you sort of you know much to the beat of their own drum to use a metaphor. Um, they this album, you hear sort of hints of different styles, yep. which is interesting itself as well. You don't really hear the same style. Yeah. You see, you hear elements of like, you know, 90s Brit pop. You hear elements of things like, um, obviously, post-rock and shoegaze. You mm. hear elements of, uh, you know, even doom-ish sort of riffs, yep. um, although not overly that loud and definitely... Lowered in the decibel range, um, so yeah it's a it's definitely it's an anti-trend album that's for sure
0: yeah, yeah which I mean and, and you're like the proto hipster, so that makes sense <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right folks, <laughs> let's do our verdicts so Adam, yes, out of all of my selections. Was anything your kind of
0: weird? I think you went three for three today. Um, I loved uh, loved Event Horizon. Um, June has always been on my list to get done, and I did quite enjoy Mogwai. I think they're great. So, yeah, I think you went three for three. They are my kind of weird. And do you have something to ask me? Well, how did I go? Did you get uh, any of my stuff your kind of weird? Yeah,
1: so I think that uh the the track, the Gaspar Sands track, is not my kind of weird. Yeah. Um uh for reasons previously explained. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh look, they're a band that's you know, they're good at what they do, yeah. it's just not for me. Um as far as uh Torchwood is definitely my kind of weird. Yep. And as far as uh that's what I reckon. Uh, that's definitely my kind of weird as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, making so funny, funny jokes about people who go to boat shows. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um,
1: wow, well, that's just an an all new low for us. So, <laughs> so folks, that's it. That's it for today for my kind of weird. If you want to head to the my kind of weird uh, podcast site, you can do so on Apple. You can do so on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Adam, for those of you who, for those listeners who have enjoyed your bad jokes where can they find you online
0: oh look you can jump on um yeah i mean instagram facebook whatever look for uh, arvo toast adam you'll find me there yep. it's mostly nonsense but you know jump on have a bit of fun excellent
1: all right and that's it for today guys um that's a wrap and we'll see you next week same time probably not same podcast definitely my name's Anthony for My Kind of Weird. See you all later. Bye bye.